this next section is called Characteristics and Functions of Sati and uh, talks uh, explores the um, uh, area of choicelessness. A close examination of the instructions in the Satipatthana Sutta reveals that the meditator is never instructed to interfere actively with what happens in the mind. If a mental hindrance arises, for example, the task of Satipatthana contemplation is to know that the hindrance is present, to know what has led to its arising, and to know what will lead to its disappearance. A more active intervention is no longer the domain of Satipatthana, but belongs rather to the province of right effort, samavayama. So that saying, as in the, the section on Chitanupasana, the uh, contemplation of, of mind and mood and such like, that uh, say knowing the angry mind is angry, knowing the, um, the agitated mind is agitated, the mind free of agitation is free of agitation and so forth. And it's quite uh, noticeable, if you look at uh, the, that section in particular, that there's no comment made about whether it's skillful or unskillful. There's, uh, it's just uh, the uh, recognition that there is, uh, there is this. So it's that, that particular quality that uh, Venerable Analeo is, is talking about here. So that um, it's knowing that the hindrance is present and uh, not talking about what, uh, uh, what to do with it. It's, as he says, a more active intervention is no longer the domain of Satipatthana, but belongs rather to the province of right effort. So that's a very significant aspect of, of uh, Satipatthana, is there's no, uh, if you like, value judgment or, or moral judgment made about whether something is, is wholesome or unwholesome, but uh, for Satipatthana it's just knowing you know, there, is, there is this. The need to distinguish clearly between a first stage of observation and a second stage of taking action is, according to the Buddha, an essential feature of his way of teaching. And uh, he, he quotes another passage from the, or uh, qualifies this with a passage from the Itivutaka, where the, the Buddha speaks about uh, two successive aspects of his teaching, the first of which is to recognize something as being unwholesome, and then the second, which is uh, then the means of, of getting free uh, from that unwholesomeness. The simple reason for this approach is that only the preliminary step of calmly assessing a situation without immediately reacting enables one to undertake the appropriate action. Thus, although sati furnishes the necessary information for a wise deployment of right effort and will monitor the countermeasures by noting if these are excessive or deficient, sati nevertheless remains an aloof quality of uninvolved, detached observation. Sati can interact with other more active factors of the mind, yet by itself it does not interfere. And so this uh, begins this whole exploration of this area and uh, it's, uh, in a sense, it's also connected with what uh, I've been uh, saying about uh, dependent origination and how when there is a sense contact, if there's, the mind is, um, say, overwhelmed with ignorance, is not seeing clearly, if there's a lack of mindfulness, then when there's a sense object, a sense contact that is pleasant, then the mind will go from liking to wanting to, and to grasping. 
uh, and chasing after that, or if it, uh, if it goes to disliking, uh, uh, that uh, transforms rapidly to, to hating and trying to get rid of, and, uh, and so forth. So that uh, <coughs> when there is a lack of vijja, a lack of uh, awareness, a lack of mindfulness, then there's a what you can say is there's an immediate reaction of liking makes the mind chase after it, disliking makes the mind push it away or, or uh, contend against it, and so there's a contrast then, uh, particularly with with mindfulness. Uh, if there is mindfulness and awareness, then it enables the mind to respond. There is that sense of, of mindfulness, aware of what's present, and then. There is a, a spaciousness, there's a, ah, there is this. And out of that, that space of, oh, look, agitation, oh, look, and dullness, oh, look, um, aversion, then there is a, the capacity to respond rather than to react. So this whole area uh, that he's talking about here is uh, a lot about that, the, the contrast between reacting and, and responding, which is a, a, a major significance in, in Dhamma practice. Uninvolved and detached receptivity, as one of the crucial characteristics of sati, forms an important aspect in the teachings of several modern, modern meditation teachers and scholars. Um, and this is, uh, he quotes Lily da Silva, uh, Ajahn Neb from Thailand, Donald Swearer, and uh, various others uh, on uh, this uh, uh, as being examples. They emphasize that the purpose of sati is solely to make things conscious, not to eliminate them. Sati silently observes, like a spectator at a play, without in any way interfering. Some refer to this non-reactive feature of sati as choiceless awareness. Choiceless, quote-unquote, in the sense that with such awareness one remains impartially aware without reacting with likes or dislikes. Such silent and non-reactive observation can at times suffice to curb unwholesomeness so that an application of sati can have quite active consequences. Yet sati's activity is confined to detached observation. That is, sati does not change experience, it deepens it. So that, uh, <coughs> that term choiceless awareness, he, um, he quotes that being used by people like Jack Engler and um, Joseph Goldstein, Jack Cornfield, uh, Stephen Levine, and uh, Su- uh, some, uh, someone called Sujiva, so quite uh, commonly used. I think it's also it as a Krishnamurti um, term way back in the way back in the mists of time. <laughs> Not sure, but uh, also bare attention, choiceless awareness, um, and uh, uh, so that that um, that quality of sort of sati on its own being choiceless. I, I think that. Um, the way that he's using liking and disliking is a little bit different than the way that, say, Lumpur Sumato would, uh, would characterize that, so that in, in terms of Paticca Samupada, that the, when the sense contact, like they say seeing, and then uh, that contact leads to feeling the Vedana, that, uh, that, that Vedana, that, that feeling or that sensation can be um, pleasant, uh, uh, can be uh, 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 a likable feeling or pleasantness or liking, or it can be neutral or it can be disliking and unpleasant feeling. So to, to me that, that, uh, that liking and disliking still comes on the, 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 the side of the uh, sort of sense perception and then uh, you know, there can be a mindful uh, awareness of liking and disliking. <laughs> um, 
and uh, that that, that uh, to me that still comes under the the heading of of sati, like knowing oh that's a uh, an attractive perception or an an, an, uh, an off-putting perception. So I'm aware that he's using the the um, the words in a slightly different way. So I hope that's not confusing as we go along. This non-interfering quality of sati is required to enable one clearly to observe the building up of reactions and their underlying motives. As soon as one becomes in any way involved in a reaction, the detached observational vantage point is immediately lost. The detached receptivity of sati enables one to step back from the situation at hand and thereby become an unbiased observer of one's subjective involvement in the entire situation. This detached distance allows for a more objective perspective, a characteristic illustrated in the above-mentioned simile of climbing a tower, or as he mentioned, the example of being in a a theatre watching a play. This detached but receptive stance of Satipatthana constitutes a middle path since it avoids the two extremes of suppression and reaction. The receptivity of sati, in the absence of both suppression and reaction, allows personal shortcomings and unjustified reactions to unfold before the watchful stance of the meditator without being suppressed by the affective investment inherent in one's self-image. Maybe a little bit of a difficult phrase to understand. So, um, (coughs) the affective investment, like not wanting to be seen to be Disliking something, or to be um, to be li- uh, liking something, and, and sort of attracted by something, and chasing after it, or disliking something, and and uh, expressing criticism of it. Maintaining the presence of sati in this way is closely related to the ability to tolerate a high degree of cognitive dissonance, since the witnessing of one's own shortcomings ordinarily leads to unconscious attempts at reducing the resulting feeling of discomfort by avoiding or even altering the perceived information. The shift towards a more objective and uninvolved perspective introduces an important element of sobriety into self-observation. The element of sobriety inherent in the presence of sati comes up in an entertaining canonical description of a particular celestial realm whose divine inhabitants get so intoxicated, quote-unquote, with sensual indulgence that they lose all sati. As a consequence of being without sati, they fall from their elevated celestial position and are reborn in a lower realm. The reverse case is also documented in another discourse in which negligent monks reborn in an inferior celestial realm on regaining their sati are at once able to ascend to a higher realm. Both these instances point to the edifying power of sati and its wholesome repercussions. Sati as a mental quality is closely related to attention, manasikara, a basic function which, according to the Abhidhamic analysis, is present in any kind of mental state. So manasikara, the att- uh, any kind of mental state, is uh, attention. It's like there's a, a noticing to some degree of what that, me- that mental state is. The basic faculty of ordinary attention characterizes the initial split seconds of bare cognizing of an object before one begins to recognize, identify, and conceptualize. Sati can be understood as a further development and temporal extension of this type of attention, thereby adding clarity and depth 
to the usually much too short fraction of time occupied by bare attention in the perceptual process. The resemblance in function between sati and attention is also reflected in the fact that wise attention, yoniso manasikara, parallels several aspects of satipatthana contemplation, such as directing attention to antidotes for the hindrances, becoming aware of the impermanent nature of the aggregates or the sense spheres, establishing the awakening factors and contemplating the Four Noble Truths. This quote-unquote bare attention aspect of sati has an intriguing potential since it is capable of leading to a de-automatization of mental mechanisms. Uh, So like not running on automatic pilot. Uh, Through bare sati, one is able to see things just as they are, unadulterated by habitual reactions and projections. By bringing, by bringing the perceptual process into the full light of awareness, one becomes conscious of automatic and habitual responses to perceptual data. Full awareness of these automatic responses is the necessary preliminary step to changing detrimental mental habits. So, for example, if, you, if there's something that you hear that is uh, uh, habitually annoying um, and you, you dislike it, the sound of, a, of an engine or, um, uh, a, um, or a particular um, feeling in the body that is, is it's irritating or a particular thing that you, you see that's always exciting or attractive or interesting, that um, what it's saying is that the more sati, you know, and probably all of us are familiar with, uh, with how this works, is that t- uh, when you're, say, sitting in meditation and that a feeling comes up in your body or you hear the sound of, a, of an engine then the, there's a much greater capacity to recognize oh there's that uh, annoyed feeling uh, when I hear the sound of, a, of, a, a, of a, an engine outside the, the temple or, or there's that um, uh, 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 interested excited uh, feeling when I, I, I uh, see that particular thing or, or um, have that particular uh, thought and so then, that as that as he says, deautomatization, so that we're able to recognize the habits that we have, and say, oh, look, there goes that habit again of, of chasing after that particular thing that we like, or criticizing and blaming, disliking, uh, and for reacting against something that we we dislike. Can I ask something? Yeah. So what you write about um, the the awareness or attention? Um, which comes before the concepts come in and form. Isn't that what Jung Po uh, explains about his his understanding of intuitive awareness or apperception? So before perception comes in, it, and exactly somehow also with the with the uh, how it works. You know, why he recommends mm-hmm. that, um, like this, we can just stay with, before all the reactions come in, mm-hmm. stay with the knowing of it, and then even knowing the reactions come in without getting hung up in Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that, that, is, that sounds very important. Yeah, it's, it's all to do with that area, and uh, in that... Um, the uh, the Madhu Pindika Sutta, the the sweet morsel, that one about um, conceptual proliferation, and it spells it out uh, in more detail. That uh, in that uh, it's, it's number Sutta number eighteen in the Majima, 
and um, you have that uh, it's this venerable Mahakachana sort of explaining the 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 principle. Uh, and then the Buddha later on says, yes, Mahakachana uh, explained it exactly the same way that I would. And so it starts off with, with there's the uh, there's, uh, sense contact, there's, say, the eye, the visual forms, and eye consciousness. The coming, three to, the coming of the three together is sense contact, you know, eye contact. Then when there is the, the, um, the contact with uh, the, the eye, so there's, there's eye contact, and then... That leads to the the um, let's see the the feeling. Uh, let's I'll read it out here. It's, um, Dependent on the eye and forms, eye consciousness arises. The meeting of the three is contact. With contact as condition, there is feeling. So that even before there's a, any kind of perception of something, that this is like the uh, sort of reactive um, and uh, our, our animal ancestry tells us whether something is is attractive and useful or it's dangerous and to be uh, even before there's any kind of other recognition so that the feeling the vedana uh, is there before any other sort of um, means of assessing what what the, the perception is which is kind of interesting that's sort of our our, uh, our ancestry as as animals and how the perceptual process works is like is it going to hurt me can i eat it can i mate with it you know the, like that's sort of registered um uh, before anything else is like you know is, is it dangerous or can i can i use it you know is it uh, suka or dukkha or neutral <laughs> so that uh, feeling comes first of all then what one feels that one perceives so there's the the sanya uh, what one perceives that one thinks about, which is vitaka. Uh, so then, the the this, the the what Lumpur calls apperception, if you like, is that's the sanya where the the say the the visual object is is registered, so that the uh, the eye receives the light, and then it registers whether it's you know, neutral or attractive or, or repellent, and then it says, uh, and then it recognizes red. Or you know blue or you know white and black, <clears throat> but it doesn't it doesn't come up with an, with the words for it. But it, it it's the, the 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 English word sanya is or the English word sign is related to sanya, so that the the quality is perceived, and then the vitaka comes in afterwards and says that's white with black print, or that's a blue carpet, or that's a red wall, or these are red chairs with 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 um, grey metal. As the vitaka is the the naming, but the sanya, the the, the sort of raw perception is there before the, the mind comes up with a with a name for it, and then the vitaka leads to papancha, to conceptual proliferation. That the thing, oh, that's that's a red. That's a really kind of ugly red. But actually, it, when the lights dim, it's not too bad. <laughs> we must repaint that wall one of these days. When do we last paint this? <laughs> and then. Uh, that, so papancha and so forth. So that in that this, um, it's in a way it spells it out in a little bit more detail than than in the the usual re- representation of of um, dependent origination. So you've got the 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 contact and then feeling and then in dependent origination the vedana leads straight to tanha, but in this you've got you've got the vitaka, the the the, the thought which actually spells out the name of what the experience is. First, and then that leads to papancha, which is, if you like, related to the 
the, the, the tanha element, the craving element, where the mind starts to sort of grab hold of it and make something of it. So that, uh, and so this whole um, discussion about um, bear uh, about choiceless awareness and bare attention and such like is um, strengthening that quality of sanya, but also vitaka, because you can there can be a naming of an experience without the mind getting caught in confusion, but it's but, in, but it's also um, encouraging that quality of developing just the, the sanya of knowing a perception without making anything of it, without turning it into a thing. And the, and the stronger the awareness, then the, the more the, there is a, 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 within that awareness, a recognition, oh, my mind is saying blue, it's making, it's, it's creating carpet, it's creating book, that there isn't really a book there, that my mind says book, because that's my human conditioning, and turns this particular collection of perceptions into book. Um, it's like in that, that Dhamma talk of, of uh, Lumpur Charles where he's speaking about this very uh, um, powerful meditation experience he had where he, his mind went into this, this very, very focused state and he said, um, I, I saw a, a kettle but it wasn't a kettle. You know, I saw the spittoon but it wasn't a spittoon. It, it wasn't anything. It was just that, if you like, the clear apperception of it. There's a, the, the, the knowing of, of the, the, the quality of experience without the mind adding any kind of naming to it, without making it into adding that thingness, uh, that, which is uh, essentially uh, like sankara is sort of making, is, is the thing making. In the images of, of dependent origination, that sankara is like the potter, you know, making, a, making pots. So it's like the, the mind that makes a thing. This is, this is a book. <laughs> This uh, this is a person, and that uh, <clears throat> and recognizing the more there is that quality of mindfulness and wisdom, then the more there's the recognition that 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 is a thing that's being made. That that, that there is no thing intrinsically there. I mean, what what I also remember, it's funny that I, I suddenly remember this talk so vividly, um, where Lopo Samido was kind of saying that if. if we stay or, or know, know how to come back to the uh, sense of apperception, then what they say here about de automatization. Uh, then actually, you can cut through the number of reactions you have, not follow them, go back to yeah. this, and, and they really get disempowered by that. And he said, in that sense, uh, um, with a First noble truth, you can go right to the third noble truth, in a way, mm -hmm. where, where suffering ceases because there's no attachment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I tried to practice with that. And I mean, there, there are moments where it happens. <laughs> <always. laughs> really? I was very impressed with, with that way of explaining that. So it's interesting to hear that. Uh, in, in a completely different context, somehow. Well, it, it's uh, yeah. In this this respect of bare attention, it's it's also connected. Um, if, if the more there is a quality of of, vich, of that sort of, uh, of mindfulness, of of clear awareness, of vicha, then there's there's a knowing, but the the mind is not sort of going out and and. Getting lost in the objects, uh, as he says, it's uh, there's 
Um, by bringing the perceptual process into the, f the full light of awareness, one becomes conscious of automatic and habitual responses to perceptual data. Full awareness of these automatic responses is the necessary preliminary step to changing detrimental mental habits. Like, and this passage I've been quoting a bit during this week that I've been reflecting on a lot is talking about the Buddha talking about his own nature. Uh, of the, uh, it's in the Sutta number 72, uh, the, uh, the Agi Vajragota Sutta in the Majima, where the Buddha says, uh, he's talking to Vajragota about his own nature, but he's, he's talking about the Tathagata, but also when he speaks about the Tathagata, about himself, he's talking about the awake mind. And then the, the words uh, are um, <clears throat> that the Tathagata has abandoned any material form by which anyone trying to describe the Tathagata would describe him. So if you say, well, he's tall, or he's Indian, or he's a man, that the, from, the, from the, the side of the, the Tathagata, he's like, he's, he's abandoned Indianness, or manness, or humanness, or tallness, or whatever, this, like that. Anything to do with material form, or perception, uh, feeling, uh, mental formations, consciousness. So each one, of the, each one of the five khandas, so it starts off by saying, the Tathagata has abandoned any material form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness, by means of which anyone trying to describe the Tathagata would describe him. So anything that you use, like, oh, he's joyful, or he's peaceful, or he's wise, that the Tathagata has abandoned all of those, those judgments and designations, those qualities. He has, cut it off, uh, he has cut it off at the root, made it like a palm tree stump, deprived it of the conditions for existence and rendered it incapable of arising in the future. The Tathagata Vacha is profound, immeasurable. Uh, <coughs> is, uh, is, um, see, the, the Tathagata is... Um, uh, see, can, the Tathagata cannot be reckoned in terms of material form Vacha. He is profound, immeasurable, uh, unfathomable, like the ocean. So the Tathagata cannot be reckoned in terms of material form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness. And that, that kind of expression, he has cut it off at the root, uh, made it like a palm tree stump, deprived it of the conditions for existence, and made it incapable, incapable of arising in the future. You know, it's, it sounds like a description of, the, the sort of this marvelously detached other being, <laughs> like the Buddha, but it's also talking about this very quality of awareness, when, when your mind is not entangled in, uh, in sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. It's describing that, that mind. It's describing this very awareness of our own mind. And in those clear moments, then <clears throat> there is that same kind of quality of, of non-entanglement, cut it off at the root, made like a palm tree stump, deprived it of the conditions for existence, and rendered it incapable of arising in the future. So, <clears throat> but it's also that a targeter is still something. It's like <laughs> that a targeter cannot be reckoned in terms of material form, in terms of the body, in terms of feeling, in terms of perceptions, mental formations, consciousness. He can't be reckoned in those terms, but he's, there is still something. There, there's there's a, a quality there, which a quality which can't be described. Profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, like the great ocean. So. Um, that when, it's, when we talk, it uses kind of language like bare attention or choiceless awareness, it can seem a little bit blank. <laughs> or, like, uh, or, or sort of like a, a, sort of, uh, a functionality like, like a, um, 
as if because sometimes you can come across that in the meditation instruction also that you're like you're trying to turn yourself into a, a video camera it's just sort of recording data like seeing seeing hearing hearing feeling feeling <laughs> thinking thinking that there's a kind of blankness to it and so I feel that that getting a sense uh, of in a way respecting the 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 um, extraordinary um, uh, sort of transcendent and powerful uh, richness of that nature it's not just when it says bare attention or choiceless awareness it's not just a, a, a blank functionality but there's a, an extraordinary um, depth and richness to it like you know, the, the, the Tathagata is profound, immeasurable, unfathomable like the great ocean that it, there's a sort of oh my goodness <laughs> So that I, I feel it's important when we use this kind of language to, to also get that sense of it's not just a, a turn, trying to turn ourselves into data reception units. That, that, that's not, uh, that's not the, the quality of it, but rather when there is that um, full awareness and, that, um, and this, this quality of mindfulness, there, there's a, a, that a profound, immeasurable, unfathomable and uh, you know, transcendent uh, aspect to it as well. So then to continue with this section here. Sati as bare attention is particularly relevant to restraint at the sense doors, Indriya Sangvara. In this aspect of the gradual path, the practitioner is encouraged to retain a bare sati in regard to, to all sense input. Through the simple presence of undisrupted and bare mindfulness, the mind is restrained, quote-unquote, from amplifying and proliferating the received information in various ways. This guardianship role of sati in relation to sense input is alluded to in those similes that declare satipatthana to be the proper pasture for a meditator and which compare sati to the gatekeeper of a town. So that uh, bare, quali- bare attention or the, the, is also as a restraint, the restraint of the mind taking hold of something that is say, a, a, an interesting object and making a whole story about it or a, 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 an off-putting object and, and again making a whole story but the mind is, is restrained as, or sort of is contained and doesn't get lost and that the word asava, the, uh, which literally means an outflow is, is a very graphic and useful term. The mind flows out into views and opinions, flows out into sense desire, flows out into um, be, uh, becoming the bhavasava, ditasava, um, karmasava, and so on, the, the different kinds of, of outflows. According to the discourses, the purpose of restraining the senses is to avoid the arising of desires, abhijja and discontent, dormanasa. Such freedom from desires and discontent is also an aspect of Satipatthana contemplation, mentioned in the definition part of the discourse. Thus the absence of reactions under the influence of desires and discontent is a common feature of both Satipatthana and sense restraint. This goes to show that there is a considerable degree of overlap between these two activities. To sum up, Sati entails an alert but receptive equanimous observation. Viewed from the context of actual practice, a predominantly receptive sati is then enlivened by the quality of being diligent, atapi, 
and supported by a foundation in concentration, samadhi. To the interrelation of sati with concentration, I will now turn in more detail. But not yet. <laughs> so uh, just to, to say a little bit more um, about reacting and responding. So uh, that, uh, um, as he said, the, the <coughs> sati is, is t- uh, describing the quality of, uh, say, being open to what's present and, uh, and, and if, in a way, assessing it. So that there's a, a quality of spaciousness there, so that if what's being uh, known is, a, is a, say, a, a beautiful color or a, 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 an off-putting smell or an, a, a, an attractive sound or a, an, an irritating sound, then uh, that uh, the mindfulness is aware of that you know, the, the, the perception and that also the sense of liking and disliking. And there's a spaciousness there, like or like in the um, um, Chitanupasana talking about mind states. So there's a, a wholesome mind state. Uh, the mind is is expansive, or the mind is contracted, it's tight, narrow. The mind is agitated or free from agitation. The mind is is uh, uh, full of anger or free of anger. And so there's that assessing. So that the more there is that quality of mindfulness is established, and the more there's a spaciousness. So that as a recognition that oh the mind is really crazy today <laughs> like oh look look at it go it's really uh, it's really um, it's really busy but that which knows the busyness is not caught in the in the content so in a way it's it's that uh, as he uses that language of observation it's like looking at the process of experience and the, and the and the, the the content of it without getting uh, caught. Up in the and the nature of that content, so there's a <coughs> there's a, a spaciousness there, and that's what enables uh, th- th- there to be a response rather than a reaction. There's a oh, this is really un- uh, this is a really unwholesome feeling. This is really a powerful feeling of anger or of fear. Uh, oh, uh, so then this being frightening, what's the appropriate response? What's what's to be said or done here? So that it, within that spaciousness of of mindfulness that allows that quality of of, of exploring, and then the the effort uh, sort of or the, the action that comes out of that space of of, uh, of responsivity. There's a as a kind of considering and a drawing upon the quality of wisdom of say the um, other spiritual resources, your own experience of how the last time you followed that you know, that irritated feeling or that attractive. That attractive feeling, then what uh, painful consequences there were. That oh, okay, that's what happened last time. Okay, <laughs> so let's not follow that. So that the the more there is that quality of uh, of mindfulness is established, that gives the space to respond rather than react. With less mindfulness, then there's less of a capacity to to respond, and there's more of a, a, a kind of automatic and and blind reactivity. Most of what you're describing seems to be about the working of the interviews in some sense. You know, it's mind objects, or it's, it's a reaction that you, somehow you're having a reaction to something that's already existing. So, most of what we feel is, is, is very automatic. Like, you know, you will instinctively recoil from something mm-hmm. which is dangerous. There's nothing you can do about that, really. I mean, it's not something you can think through in any sense. You're either reacting or responding. It's just something that happens. There's no um, volition in it. Really. It's, it's, 
the body doing its thing. Mm-hmm. So where does all that fit in? <laughs> well, I think it comes into the seeing the the. Uh, the, the, where, where mindfulness can be established, where you're seeing a reaction of, of say, fear or attraction, it's like at the point where there is that enough um, mindfulness to go, oh, you know, I'm moving towards that attractive thing or, or shying away from that that dangerous thing. That at the point at which there there can be some uh, that kind of awareness, uh, you know, the, the, then that's where that their responsivity can come in, but there's there's a uh, a certain degree to which that uh, you know the the reaction happens before there's even a conscious perception. Like if there's a you know object moving rapidly towards you, you know you're you're getting out of the way um, on just on an instinctual uh, instinctual basis. So that but the the more I'd say the the more uh, Mindfulness that we that we develop, the more that the satipatthana is developed, then the kind of the earlier in that process you can you can see things. Yeah. It's like uh, Mathieu Ricard, um, a monk in the Tibetan tradition. He's <clears throat> they when they were doing these various um, neurological tests on on different people, they were amazed that he uh, he could actually um, he had enough. Um, uh, mindfulness to to uh, to completely um, stop the startle reflex. So like with a, a gun going off next to his ear, you know, with blanks. You know. <laughs> but uh, they uh, the, and they they'd never seen that before. Even with people who work in in sort of firing ranges who are hearing guns going off all the time, there's still a, you know some degree of of a reaction. But uh, they were uh, they'd never they'd never seen that before that somebody could just uh, Focus their attention, and then uh, literally a gun could go off by their ear, and then there's no, uh, there's no automatic reaction. So that, uh, <coughs> the, the, uh, he's a particularly gifted meditator. <laughs> We're not all uh, as accomplished as him, but uh, that I'd say that the the more that that quality is is de- more mindfulness there is that's developed, then the sort of the the further along that that spectrum. It can go, and so that you can, uh, like Ajahn Buddhadasa used to talk about how you, if you develop the mindfulness sufficiently, you can be aware of sense contact, but even before feeling arises, and that uh, that that, and so that that, and would encourage that as a focus. I've, I've always associated that with with with, high, with deep states of concentration, where you, you're so removed in a sense, you know, and that much of this doesn't simply doesn't apply. It really sort of you you kind of experiencing things in a very basic way, mm-hmm. so that none of that ulterior stuff happens in the way. Mm-hmm. You just really stay with the experience as in, in, in a physical sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't go anywhere. Well, I, I, no, it's not necessarily. Well, I, I, uh, I, it's to, I'd say that to a degree it's to, related to concentration, but also in very active social situations. Like I remember, um, one of the most impressive things to me about Ajahn Chah was uh, the, the day after my bhikkhu ordination. I was invited. The whole group of us were, were, were taken into a. A dana, a meal offering in the village of Bangor, Ajahn Chah's home village, just 
you know, half a mile away from, from Wapapong. And um, so I was like the last monk in the line, the newly ordained ones. There was about, I guess, about a dozen of us there. And uh, so, <coughs> and um, Ajahn Chah was uh, at the uh, the front, and there was this one, and we're gathered in this, this house, and it's quite a crowd of people there. Yeah, yeah, up on, up on the, uh, the so you, you climb up the stairs and you're in the, all in the sort of um, uh, open uh, sort of living area of the house. And this guy was sitting right in front of Ajahn Chah and he was just talking really, really loudly and just obviously was not, as I say, not playing with a full deck. You know, he, he was a bit you know, of a wacky, and, but he was uh, just really loud and going on and on and on. And... Uh, uh, and Ajahn Chah was, and I was sitting there thinking about, uh, why, you know, Lumpur, why doesn't he say something? Or he should sort of, he should, he should kind of intervene, or he should sort of get this fellow to be quiet, or or something, or something. And it was quite extraordinary because it was this this fellow was was really sort of quite close and just sort of delivering at, at the high volume, and he wasn't like being aggressive, but just being very very uh, loud and forthright, and. Uh, and you could tell that uh, Ajahn Chah was, was, was fully aware that he was there and paying attention, but was completely unmoved by that, that sort of the, the, the sort of the, the power of this guy's presence and his and his output. And so there was that, you know, what I would have thought would be all this sort of instinctual reaction of, of feeling um, a pressure to do something <coughs> or trying to sort of. Uh, Get the guy to stop so that the rest of the, of the uh, event could carry on, and all the other, you know, thirty people gathered there could, could get on with the, the meal offering and so on. And that, that what you would imagine would be that sort of the instinctual reactions of uh, with with uh, that uh, kind of impact, it just wasn't there. And he was not in, in, sort of intimidated. He wasn't trying to to. to to, he wasn't impatient. He was not uh, anxious, but he was fully attentive, and uh, it was it, it was an, um, it's hard to describe. But it was a really extraordinary experience for me to see how you know, he was uh, he was uh, paying attention. He was full. He was caring and uh, attentive, but completely un unshaken or undisturbed by this guy's output. And um, there was a, the, the, in a way that it was sort of, it, it, it was res, uh, able to to know that that uh, sort of the uh, the psychological or impact of that fellow's output, but not being upset or shaken or, or, or disturbed by it, but fully attentive to it. He wasn't like shutting it out. Uh, I don't know if that relates to what you're asking about, but it's like a that. It was like the the instinctual responses um, were uh, he 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 just didn't have to to pick them up or do anything with them and it's like that was he was fully aware of uh, of the impact of that but just not making anything of it and um, that uh, so without being suppressed or without sort of shutting down being fully aware of what's there but completely undisturbed by by the the mood and. Uh, and it was so entirely well. That's that's his mood. I don't have to pick it up. I don't have to do anything with it. And I don't have even. I don't even have to shut it out. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that relates to what you're what you're asking about. But uh, 
that it's to me it's 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 it seems to be connected because it's that <coughs> there's an uh, there we can we can know an instinctual reaction if somebody's very um, agitated or very excited or, or there's a, a lot of busyness and we we're recognizing it's up to me whether I pick this up or not it's my choice as to how to work with this whether there's something to be done or not to be done and not just being pulled by the the, the 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 characteristic of the situation in in some particular way, but completely free to to relate to it however seems to be appropriate. I guess it's just something to explore, isn't it? You know the kind of physical mental components of these things. Discover how it works. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that with in terms of developing mindfulness, uh, what I, I what I use on a practical level a lot is is just body awareness. When somebody comes sort of bounding up to you and says, Ajahn, Ajahn, I've got this great idea. This is fantastic. And we've really got to do this. We, it's really important. And, you know, the, <laughs> you know, sometimes those kind of things happen. And, the, and then if you, uh, if you then think, oh, I've got to fend this person off or I've or got to do something with this, and then what I'll do is I just bring my attention into the body and then just relax. And, and just on, first of all, notice what the body is doing in terms of, being uh, uh, attacked by someone's enthusiasm, or they're, if they're upset or they're angry about something, to just bring the attention into the body and, and notice what the body's doing, and then, then, re- receiving that and knowing that, and just letting the body react, uh, re- relax, and then let the. If there's any response to to um, to be made, to, to come out of that place of of uh, some relaxed awareness rather than, than that sense of oh well, I've got to do something with this person's excitement or I've got to give them an answer or I've got to say yes or no or some other thing but just to, to use that, the, the body awareness because that is a, such a reliable measure and, uh, and uh, usually for myself in a situation like that then that there is some very tangible physical reaction that, that's, that's going on that either you're uh, Sort of swept up in it and and uh, interested or intimidated or, or or anxious or whatever. Ajahn, the uh, mind you were referring to, I suppose it's a mind that we can't really describe, but you know some people maybe call it an unborn nature or um, you know an unborn mind. Could be, I mean, in say Dojin Zenji, he would say, I don't know how you refer to him would say that that mind was Buddha nature, you know, the, the pure knowing mind is Buddha nature. Um, and he would say, his, his tilt would be that if you know that, there's nothing really else to look for. It's a natural state that you know. So, you know, it's a bit like the Wizard of Oz. Everybody's looking for the wizard and they've already got it. I just wondered if, you know, reading that, those sort of texts, would that be leaning towards that type of thinking, or would it be leaning more towards that it was um, the practice led to something that you gain, as opposed to you're already there? You know, there's, there's the two tilts, isn't it? Two different Zen schools. One thinks you get something, the other says there's nothing to get, it's already there. <laughs> well, they're, they're both true. I mean, that, that, that passage I was quoting about the 
that a targeter is profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, like the great ocean. I mean, that's talking about the Buddha talking about his own nature. So that that is Buddha nature. He's he's saying the targeta is. So he's talking about the nature of the targeta. So if you like, that's a Theravada description of Buddha nature. But uh, the <clears throat> the idea of oh, oh, we've all got Buddha nature <laughs> is very different from the the embodiment of that. And so that what uh, easily happens is that the idea that oh you know we all have this quality of pure awareness um, and that that idea is very pleasing and inspiring but <clears throat> our uh, moment by moment embodiment of that is is not um, say uh, does not match that quality because it's still clouded by greed hatred delusion self-centered opinions fears, desires, and so forth. And so we like the idea, and, uh, and to a degree, I would say it's, it's true, that quality of, of, of uh, wisdom, that that's the Buddha refuge. When we take, say, Buddhang Saranangachami, as Ajahn Chah would say, that the, the Buddha, which is the refuge, is that quality of, of awakened awareness of, of your own citta. Yes, <laughs> but the, the mind is, is very easily taken up with uh, opinions, fears, desires, aversions that then color uh, and confuse that that clarity. So that's why we keep taking refuge to remember that quality and to to uh, strengthen it. And then the practices of satipatthana, development of mindfulness, is in a sense um, clarifying the the access to that quality, learning to use it, and learning and training the mind not to be as a Coloured by its habits of perception, its likes, its dislikes, and and so on and so forth, because of that, uh, as uh, in one of Ajahn Chah's talks, he he says that uh, you can you can say that you know the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha are in the mind, but then it's easy for the mind to say, yeah, the Buddha and Dhamma and the Sangha is in the mind, but <laughs> but yet their mind does not actually uh, match that that or their their actions don't match that fundamental quality. Uh, that they haven't, their practice does not, um, is does not comply with that that idea because of the habits of greed, hatred, and delusion. So that, uh, as a principle, I'd say that's that that's true. When we talk about uh, that fundamental quality of mind or awareness, that it's no different as uh, many many Dhamma talks of Lumpur Sumedho here say that this is Buddha wisdom. But then he said, oh, "I've got Buddha wisdom, so everything I do is <laughs> the action of a Buddha." Like, is a, a very uh, dangerous and, and foolish delusion, uh, and that uh, uh, so that he, um, the guidance of of the uh, the the precepts and the uh, the structures of wholesome action and unwholesome action are you know, extraordinarily uh, important. When you, if you're looking at that principle, uh, or uh, say exploring that, and the uh, qualities of, of wholesome and unwholesome, uh, skillful and unskillful, are uh, essential to have uh, to have clear. Yes. I just had a question. You were saying that when you encounter somebody who is agitated or very excited. You would bring the hands to the body. What would you, rec- would you recommend doing if one oneself is experiencing agitation in a social setting? And 
going also going to the body? Yes. Yeah, I use that a lot. It's extraordinarily. It also doesn't that just have an effect on you? It has an effect on the excited slash irritated slash um, confused person that that uh, is just encountered you <laughs> or is encountering you. So it has a because if you're very angry and and you sort of come up to me and you're upset about something, you know I'm you know reacting to that. You know I'm sort of defending myself or then my kind of tension then gives you signals and so then that, that feeds your mood. But if, if you're coming bouncing out to me and say, Ajahn, I can't believe it. I was just in the kitchen and I was helping all those Do you know what they're doing with the washing up rotor? And then and then I, I feel this sort of uh, sense of in, uh, intimidation or, or feeling your uh, your um, mood and then I I relax. Then what happens is that then that that becomes like a mirror. For, for your own mood, and then, and then something in your in your this, for most people, <laughs> what happens is that there's a little voice starts to say, "I'm getting a little bit upset here, aren't I? <laughs> I'm 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 sounding a bit shrill." Um, and Ajahn's kind of looking at me and smiling. Right? Okay, chill, chill, chill. Okay. <sighs> yeah. Now about the washing up, Ajahn. <laughs> so it, it's uh, uh, not being sort of patronizing. Or like, you, know, you need to calm down like me. But um, just the, the natural effect of when, when you are, are say, in a, a more calm or balanced state, then it, it becomes uh, a, uh, like a, a sounding board or a, a mirror for the other person. They're more able to see their own, their own uh, condition. Yeah. And to arrive at that calm state, the body's a good way of... Dragging the mind down. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what I, I, I found most helpful. Uh, because the, 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 the body has... Uh, uh, there's a, a lot of instinctual reactions, like what uh, Sister Tisara was saying about when you're, if you're frightened about something or you're excited by something, the, the body's already kind of got ready with, oh, wow, that's interesting. And, you know, you're, oh, that... In the, there's, there's a lot of signals that the body uh, creates and, and so it feeds the emotional nature very very directly and so that <clears throat> it's like one of the um, the interesting things about about fear is that it it really relies on on physical tension and so if you uh, <clears throat> so what I, I often when talking about this I I, I encourage people to do a little exercise like if you if you tighten your stomach your your abdomen like I, I'm doing this right now so immediately I feel anxious I feel worried I can feel a sort of vibration in my body and I feel there's a certain sense of anxiety and then if you relax just just relaxing the muscles huh, suddenly the world is a calmer place just through muscular tension you know the muscles are tight and then it, it feels, feeds the sense of anxiety. The muscles relax and the anxiety goes away. Not being worried about anything. <laughs> Just what the body is doing. It, it, it supports different moods. And so one of the most useful aspects of, of meditation, and, and when we get on to the mindfulness of the body, uh, we'll talk about it some more, is just seeing how the, the nature, the body's nature is to support different emotional states 
and that uh, when you uh, when you want to work with uh, emotions like fear or anger or desire um, you know, negative or afflictive emotions that approaching them through the, the body and working with with the, the, the body and, the, and learning how not to feed those unskillful states with with uh, with the bodily reaction it, it's uh, enormously helpful it goes a long way to uh, say as it is starving the hindrances to uh, to be approaching that through what, what you do with the body so with the hindrances of agitation or dullness or, or desire or aversion whatever the hindrance might be even doubt you know just uh, uh, when the when the mind is in a state of doubt and you're really wrapped up in your thoughts to just park the thinking <laughs> and go into the body and just ask it, what does what does doubt feel like when the mind's in a state of doubt? Okay, that's a really important problem, and it definitely has to be figured out. But <laughs> for the moment, let's just explore where uh, where does doubt uh, exhibit itself in the body? What does it feel like when the mind when when there's doubt? Wh- where is it? What, what's its texture? And to just look at the physical um, sensations that go along with that particular quality, and then through that power of attention, the, and, and, and uh, what I find is the more that you're not trying to do anything with it, but you just bring awareness to that. Like if if uh, if it's you know with agitation or fear or or desire, to just notice what the body is doing with that state, and then simply by bringing awareness to that then letting the body adjust on its own so you, you don't have to like oh i'm in a state of tightness because of fear therefore i should relax <laughs> you know and there's sort of me relaxing but rather just by bringing the that uh, awareness to that uh, the, the feelings of the body then le- letting the body res- uh, adjust on its own just through the the awareness having its effect, like a a heat lamp on a tight muscle. Yeah, you know, the muscle sort of relaxes on its own. It's not not like you have to do anything. The the the, the managing director does not have to be involved. You know, it just it, it just relaxes on its own, or like a you know the sun comes up and the the flowers open, because it's the you know the sun shines on the flower and the flower opens. That's what it does. There's no there's no Managers going around telling the daisies, "Okay, it's morning. Open up. Come on, come on. Time to." <laughs> this does it because it's natural response. <coughs> so, in the same way, our bringing awareness to the body, then that helps uh, to, um, in a very direct way, work with uh, afflictive emotions. So, it, uh, and it's uh, very, very helpful. Very. Uh, uh, effective way of working with that. So. Okay, I was going to say a little bit about um, the Sabhasava Sutta, that, um, the second discourse of the Majima about the. Because uh, this reading was talking about choiceless awareness and bare attention, but also um, that the Sutta about. Uh, avoiding the uh, working with the the asavas, the outflows, is a um, uh, it's a useful sutta. So I, I might uh, read a little bit from this tomorrow about the different ways of 
anyway, skillful choices that we uh, can make in relationship to those the, the outflowing tendencies of the mind. So I'll, uh, I'll uh, read a, a few of these um, tomorrow because uh, when we talk about choicelessness or bare attention, it can sometimes uh, uh, say seem to encourage a, a kind of passivity or just just I just just watching, just observing. <laughs> but uh, there's also a lot in the Buddha's teaching about making skillful choices and uh, and so that with um, uh, and also that um, the references that that are there in that those readings about um, rest, uh, restraint of the senses and um, and so so on and so forth that this sutra is very uh, helpful in going through a, a number of those. So I'll, I'll uh, cover a few of those tomorrow. <laughs>